This podcast is brought to you by the upcoming Bioceuticals Seminar Series, The New Science of Detoxification with Dr. Chris Shade. Dr. Shade is a globally recognised expert on toxic burden and targeted liposomal delivery systems. He has lectured and trained doctors in the US and internationally on the subject of mercury, heavy metals and the human detoxification system. In this one-day workshop, Dr. Shade will share his deep understanding on how to restore, manage and augment all three phases of detoxification with profound implications for health. At the end of the day, you will have a full understanding of how to provide a personalised, holistic detoxification program that moves away from the hit-and-miss shotgun approach practitioners may have used in the past. For more information, visit bioceuticals.com.au slash education slash events. This is FX Medicine, and I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. And with me on the line today is Beth Bundy. Now, Beth's a qualified naturopath of over 16 years, specialising in integrative and functional medicine. She's practised using a combination of nutrition, herbal medicine and homeopathic medicine, with a strong emphasis on health issues such as detoxification, weight management, adrenal fatigue, hormone balance and general anti-ageing therapies. Beth was also a lecturer in nutrition as food as medicine, for several years at the Australian College of Natural Medicine, which is now Endeavour College in Melbourne. She worked previously as technical and practitioner consultant at PathLab, one of Australia's original functional pathology companies, and she's currently training health practitioners nationally as clinical consultant at Nutripath Integrative Pathology Services, and she does a damn good job of it. She's also practitioner consultant for Smart DNA Genomic Testing. She works as a functional medicine practitioner in a busy and highly successful integrative medical practice and worked with allied health practitioners in a multimodality clinic and in a cosmetic clinic. Welcome, Beth. Hello, hello. <laughs> I swear that sounds like such a mouth. But it's all true. <laughs> Beth, I love speaking to you because I, you bring both the, the testing and you use it day to day in your clinic. And so today, you know, we're talking about the liver. Take us through what this amazing organ does for us first. Well, we'll, keep, we'll just remind people some of the things it does, such as it produces bile, mm. which breaks down the fats for us, so to improve our digestion. It makes proteins for blood, such as you would have heard of fibrinogen and albumin, it produces cholesterol, um, it stores and releases glucose when we need it, when we're stressed out. Uh, it also helps clear the bilirubin so we all don't turn yellow in the skin and the eyes. Yep. Uh, it also helps with our immune system, with the Kupfer cells that help clear bacteria and fungi and parasites. And it also stores our vitamins and minerals such as fat-soluble A, D, E and K, B12, uh, things like iron and copper. But its major role that most people know about is how it detoxifies all the harmful substances that we um, get into us. Because especially nowadays, you know, with all the processed foods and the pollution and all these things that are just in our world, (coughs) excuse me, 
You know, it's in the food we eat, the water we drink, because it comes from fertilizers and various chemicals that they put on the food. We've got additives and colorings and preservatives in our food. We breathe revolting exhaust if you sit in traffic all day like me. Uh, and, of course, our hormones need to be detoxified as well. Oh, that's right. So yeah. the liver does all of this, and it does it in two parts, or what we call phases. Uh, so it, the first uh, phase, it uses uh, cytochrome P450 enzymes majorly, and this actually metabolizes the substances into a more, shall I say, toxic, you can't see I'm using air quotes, toxic substance. And then the phase two has to make it all palatable for the body to remove. Mm. So via the intestines or the kidney. Uh, And so what we will see is often with the down regulation of the phase two pathway, meaning that we have a poor metabolism and elimination of the toxins. So this is when we see our people come into the clinic they're tired, they've got headaches, they're nauseous, they might have weight gain, they might have hormonal symptoms and signs, and they may be uh, sensitive to various environmental things or to foods. So, you know, I guess our liver does this day to day, day in, day out, every second of our lives, but I guess there's times when this sort of fantastic function can falter. What causes this to happen? What, what happens to these people? Well, generally we're going to get overwhelmed at some point and obviously some people break sooner than others, but we'll get overwhelmed from various toxins uh, and is it okay if we use the word toxins today, meaning all sort of manner of things? Yeah. Uh, whether that's from outside, so exogenous, or with inside or endogenous. So things like, as I say, um, exposure to chemicals, pesticides, uh, air pollution um, from food, water, air. So we're seeing more and more people coming up with issues with mould. Uh, we have quite a few farmers that come to visit us in clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're obviously exposed to a lot of chemicals. A lot. In, in various, you know, whether they're farmers for planting things or growing animals. Also, uh, surgery. So when, when people are under general anaesthetic and they're having a lot of surgery, general anaesthetic's a bit hard on the old liver. Yes. So is medications. We've got lots of people on numerous medications, and that's pharmaceutical medications. And it's known that some of those are very toxic to the liver. Um, and sometimes people actually have to have regular blood tests to ensure that the liver is not being harmed too much. Mm. Um, antibiotics aren't too good for you either, and antifungals are, are known to affect the liver as well. Obviously, too much of the wine, women and song, will upset you. So too much alcohol, we know that that causes things like cirrhosis, worst-case scenario. Cigarettes, recreational drugs, you know, generally having a good time apparently is no good for you. I've often blamed uh, I've often blamed the amount of singing I do on the problems that it causes my ling. It's not to do with the alcohol, it's the singing. <laughs> so are you a karaoke champion as well, Andrew? <laughs> I think next sales meeting we're gonna have a karaoke off. <laughs> I think I think not. <laughs> <laughs> I'll win. Um, and of course we can't forget good old stress. Yeah. Uh, fasting, people not eating properly, they're eating a lot of rubbish, you know, get the quick fix from various takeaway joints, uh, that doesn't help us. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, poor digestion 
can affect liver function and vice versa. So things like leaky gut, um, what we call people have leaky gut, yep. intestinal permeability. So, yeah, that, that's another long list of things that can overwhelm the liver. So I guess when you're looking at liver detoxification profiles and, and a practitioner was going to institute a therapy, they've really got to start, as you say, right back with digestion. And that indeed starts with preparing somebody for a meal. So they've got to be not stressed and they've got to chew properly and you know have the right foods then that are going to feed their liver, not stress their liver. So you've got to start all the way back at their mouth and, and even before that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but that being said, you need to in- – we've just said that food can be a problem mm. as well. Yeah. So it's not just having their body, so to speak, ready to eat. It's actually for them to make the right choices yes. with the food they're going to eat. Absolutely. Depending on how unwell they are, um, you know, because – and again, we find this difficulty working with people in the country is actually their access to food – that hasn't been sprayed to within an inch of its life. Oh, okay. Um, and that, of course, can then, they can think they're eating well, but they're actually ingesting pesticides and various things that are still impacting their liver and how it's functioning. Yeah. And you know what's funny? Like, you know, my sister lives in rural New South Wales, and one of the things that she has always done on her potty farm, you know, 16 acres, is um, she's had this incredible veggie and fruit patch. So we yeah. used to go down there and raid her berries. Like we would absolutely raid her <laughs> her berries. And I saw for the first time how asparagus grows, yeah. which, which blew, you know, I thought I knew, you know, veggies and things like that, but I had never seen asparagus growing. So I've actually eaten Truly fresh asparagus, and that blew me away. So, so what you find is that these people tend not to have that sort of self sufficiency. They tend to end up with the rural provision in the supermarkets there, and and so on the whole, they're they're more loaded with toxins. Yes, yes, yes. This is uh, because they may be coming from dairy farmland or wheat belt right. or things like that. So. Yep. They're growing crops en masse. They're not necessarily growing their veggies for themselves. Yeah. And so when you grow en masse, you need to make sure that you can sell en masse so you can't have too many bugs eating it. So let's spray it. Yeah, that's right. So when you spoke including about including stress even in, in uh, putting a stress or, if you like, on the liver function, mm. what do you do then with regards to treating somebody do you really say look this affects this and you know the leg bones connected to the thigh bone that sort of thing do you have oh absolutely because often i find that it's not just the liver we're working with you'll often find some sort of um uh, gut issue as well so we do a lot of um stool tests as well mm-hmm. to find out if there's uh, a problem there so for example if someone has a parasite yeah uh, I can liver detox them to the cows come home. I need to treat the the gut so we're getting less endotoxins um, affecting the, the liver. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, if they're also living in an area that's affecting them, say from mould, so their immune system ah, is um, aggravated, Yes, that's going to bring them down. And and again, it's if people are stressed, and um, this is a very general generalization, if people are stressed, they love coffee, they love 
having a wine or two or three or four when they get home because, <laughs> you know, they need to calm down yeah. um, and all those sorts of things. And those sorts of things are affecting the liver as well. Yeah. I think one of the one of the issues is it, it you know it might not be one or two but it's all the time every day it's this this chronicness um, of these loads that we place on the liver high sugar high fat high alcohol high stress and then boof it's not just once it's all the time so eventually the liver quote unquote wears down that's right because it's not we weren't made for this sort of food hmm. I mean I think when we all drop off this mortal coil we'll be so well preserved. <laughs> Um, that, you know, will never decompose, really. Yeah. <laughs> so it's um, <laughs> like the good old uh, takeaway burgers yeah. that uh, ah, never decompose. No, that's right. Yes. I remember um, those school experiments. That, that was a school experiment I used to do with my nutrition yeah. uh, classes, yes. So yes, fascinating. We so know we're eating that. Yeah, People that's, eat that stuff. That's exactly right. That's the weird thing, isn't it? Um, and, and, you know, I, I think the thing is that that rubbish that exists as quote-unquote food, fast food, uh, your body can has this intrinsic ability to be able to detoxify these poisons really well. And it can do that once every so often. It's when you just keep pounding it that eventually it'll just wear away. And I think this is the difference when you're looking at a standard medical test, which is looking, you know, they say it's a liver function test, but it's not. It's a liver dysfunction test. So they're looking for damage. Well, I like to call it the liver damage test. Yeah, that's right. So it should be an LDT, not an LFT. Exactly. Because once you've got there, like once those are really flared up, I mean, they're really measuring damage to the the liver. Enzyme leakage out of cells. So how do you, what, what, Tell us about the difference between the pers- the perspective of functional pathology versus standard pathology. So, as I just said, the, the liver function test or the LFT that um, standard medical practice is looking at, they're looking at it literally at a frank pathology. Have you possibly got hepatitis? Have you possibly got cirrhosis or some bile obstruction? Um, and that's where your GGT comes in your AST, your ALT, and your ALP uh, are the four markers they're often looking for in an LFT. Mm-hmm. And they're really about serious hepatocellular damage, yeah. um, such as alcohol um, effect on the uh, liver. Yeah. So, and we're not, we're hoping to get people before they even go down that track. So we're more interested in not has the damage already occurred. With a functional test, we're looking at, well, considering all the things we just spoke about, about horrible hamburgers and horrible food from the country and horrible air and drinking too much alcohol, how does your liver function at present? Where can we find the little windows that we and little buttons that we can tweak so it works more efficiently? Mm that you clean yourself up a little bit. But again, we have to remember that the majority of our patients do like to live in their world. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are things that they're going to be exposed of. We can't all live in bubbles. Yeah. So we are always going to be exposed to some this. We can temper some of it, but we need to help these people upregulate um, better liver function, and that's what we can get a start on looking at the liver function profile, liver detox profile. Yep. Um, because people have various, genetically too, they have various 
different capacities for detoxification. Mm. I mean, we've all heard stories about, you know, old Joe Blow, who's 97 and has been drinking scotch and smoking cigars every day of his life and he's still, you know, doing jigs. Yep. Uh, good luck to him. He's got fabulous genes. Um, the majority of us need a little bit of help and that might be with cleaning up with food and diet and water and all that sort of thing. But perhaps there can also be some nutrients or nutrition that we can tweak to help them um, function that better. Yeah, that's right. I, I mean, what's interesting to me is that, you know, some endocrinologists might poo-poo uh, a functional liver detox um, profile, but um, and yet medicine is now looking at SIPE enzymes to tease out who will respond to a certain drug therapy and who won't. Like, for instance, tamoxifen is the famous one I keep harping on about, but there are others coming online now too. So they're looking at SIPE enzymes and how your liver functions, not dysfunctions. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. so this is yeah. this is the interesting thing, um, is that medicine has poo-pooed these functional tests for years, and yet I I see entelopop excuse me, entelopeptides, which is a, a, a turnover marker of bone, is now being used by endocrinologists looking at um, osteoporotic patients. So it, it's like it's sort of, yes, it's bad until it's good, <laughs> and then it's accepted. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and frankly, I'm quite happy for gastroenterologists and hepatologists, hep hepatologists to rule out any frank disease. Mm. Great. Let us know that they don't have any overt disease processes going on because ultimately when the patient comes to us, this is where as complementary health practitioners we shine. We absolutely can rock the suboptimal. Yeah. And um, so I, I actually would prefer my patients. I can help my patients well enough so they never have to go and see a poo-pooing specialist. Yeah. You know, so um, and... And I like that we can tweak some of the pathways by this test because remember that the different pathways will actually detox certain um, products in our system yeah. or, or various uh, endogenous or exogenous products. So take us through what a liver detox profile is because you challenge it with certain drugs, right? Oh, yes. Okay, now this is when we need to have our... Um, podcast TV, <laughs> I want everyone to put their virtual glasses on because I'm waving my hands and showing you <laughs> virtually, okay? So a detox profile comprises three tablets. There's a caffeine tablet, aspirin, and a paracetamol. Mm -hmm. Can you see them, Andrew? <laughs> I sure can. See my virtual tablets? I'm not game um, to say no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the caffeine we use to measure phase one. Okay, so they take that. The aspirin and the paracetamol are specifically to look at phase two. Um, the aspirin we use more for glycination. The paracetamol is more for the glutathionation, sulfation, and glucuronidation. Mm -hmm. So they're the, the four pathways we're looking at. Yep. So what the patient has to do is before breakfast, they take their caffeine tablets, and then two hours after that, they spit in a little saliva vial for us. Then six hours later after that, they do another saliva tube. And then they go about their day, hopefully no extra coffee. Uh, then before bed, they 
um, take the aspirin and paracetamol tablets. Mm-hmm. And then for the following 10 hours, which is usually overnight, they have to collect their urine in the bag we provide, the little collapsible um, collection bag, yep. which is easy for gentlemen, but I must say it is an interesting task for the ladies to do in the middle of the night in the dark. <laughs> right. But because this is a PG show, we'll just leave it all to your imagination. Right. So grab a torch. Exactly. <laughs> um, and in the morning, they just pip out a little bit of that collection, put the two saliva samples and the wee sample into an envelope that we provide and send it back to us and await the results. And these are all appropriately labelled for um, contaminated... Um, oh, biohazard. Biohazard, thank you. That's right, yes. Very big stickers going, alert, alert, biohazard. Yeah. And, um, and these are approved to send via Australia Post or are they couriered? No, no, Australia Post. Australia Post, yeah. Australia Post is okay. They're okay with that because it's only a tiny little monovant sample. You're not sending a whole big bag of wheat. Yeah. And so, They're not too happy about that. No, I, I could imagine not. No. <laughs> so, so then what's the turnaround time uh, before the practitioner gets the results? And practitioner only, correct? Yes. Uh, it's usually about a week to two weeks, mm-hmm. but generally about a week. Okay. So it's, it's really good um, turnaround, which is great. Right. And then what does this tell the practitioner about the health of that patient that did the test? All right. So as I briefly mentioned that we have the four pathways that we're looking at, glutathionation, sulfation, um, glucuronidation and glycination, Uh they would tell us various things. So the glutathionation uh, is responsible for conjugating things like alcohol and toxic metals. The sulfation pathway conjugates catecholamine, such as your adrenaline, noradrenaline, and some sex hormones, Uh such as progesterone and estrogen and DHEA. Um, And as an interesting aside, um, a study showed that uh, there is reduced sulfation in some autistic kiddies Mm -hmm. and that the use of paracetamol after the MMR vaccination could be associated with with the autism um, versus the vaccination. And this is due to the hypothesis that the Panadol or the paracetamol resulted in an overload of an already compromised sulfation pathway causing um, neurotoxicity, oh, that's which really I thought was very interesting. Yeah. Mm, there's, so that was um, there's some interesting things sort of leading on from a study. Uh, we're getting sort of away from liver detox, but um, I, think mm. it's all, I think it's all combined in there. Um, mm, the mm. Synergy trial was run by Dr. Megan Rossi at uh, PA Hospital in Brisbane, and what that looked at was dysbiosis or dysbiotic bacteria making an inflammatory compound which affected the heart in people who could not get rid of it via their kidneys, i.e. they had kidney disease, but it yeah, affected yeah. the heart. Now, there's another paper by a, a, an author called Luzapone, and they've looked at um, this same inflammatory or byproduct, if you like, made by dysbiotic bacteria affecting paracetamol metabolism. So doesn't that tie in well with autistic kids, dysbiotic guts and um, the potential for vaccine to be the, uh, you know, we call it the smoking gum, but it's not. It might be the messenger. Yeah. Well, that's, and then you vaccinate them and then they're all, then their sulfation pathways. Overloaded. Overloaded. Mm. And then that also then reduces their glutathione. Mm. So, and then, which is, which is our great detoxer. Yeah. So. Um, then, of course, we've also got glucuronidation, which is responsible for conjugating estrogen. Yeah. 
as well as some medications. And then glycination, which is predominantly involved in salicylate conjugation. But what I find this is helpful for is, obviously, if our liver is under the pump and our gut is sleeping on the job, we're going to have some toxicity issues. So, for example, even just yesterday at uh, the lab, I saw... I. I spoke to quite a few practitioners that were talking to me about um, stool analysis yeah. that had come up with highly elevated beta glucuronidase. Mm-hmm. So we know that if we see that in the stool, it also indicates a poor phase two liver metabolism and therefore poor estrogen clearance by way of glucuronidation downregulation. Yeah. So, and if we can see that in the liver, uh, detox profile as well, we know we need to investigate that seriously because if we're getting beta-glucuronidase in the stool as well, this person is having a major issue with eliminating their estrogen. So therefore, they're reabsorbing them via enterohepatic circulation, like yuck. Um, And this is definitely a bad thing for our estrogen-dominant ladies. Because ultimately, we want them to use it and then lose it. Yeah, that's right. People people don't um, realise that we need to make these hormones and then get rid of them or metabolise them. That's it. Get them out. Mm. You know, um, get them out by the bowels, and you know you'll also benefit because some weight will leave there as well. Mm. Um, well what about methylation, though, Beth? Uh, that's a separate test altogether, though. Is that right? Yes. Yes, methylation is a, is a different animal again. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's that's another day, darling. Another day, yeah, but also that's one which is intrinsically day. linked with hormones, um, yes. and many other things as well. But but with hormone metabolism, because we were mentioning it, um, but it's something oh, that we need to look at. Our estrogens, our yeah. estrogen metabolites, yeah. by the Compt pathway, yes, and that yes. is a total subject all on its own. Yes, indeed. <laughs> well, I mean, of course, it's the liver's ability to metabolize the E one. Yeah by way of, you know, your 2-hydroxyestrone or 16-hydroxy, yeah. which minimizes that estrogen-related hormonal issue, for sure. The other thing I want you to remember is that we need the liver to help metabolize our thyroid hormone. Yes. Um, which it mainly does, again, through glucuronidation and sulfation. Um, and again, as I mentioned before, of course, our people are drinking coffee and um, drinking alcohol. More often than you mean, not. you mean enjoying but, alcohol, is it? <laughs> well, one would hope they're enjoying maybe, it if they're drinking. Maybe it. enjoying it too much, is that what? Yeah. <laughs> maybe enjoying it too much, indeed. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So, what, what about people who might be sensitive to the testing agents? You know, caffeine. So, let's say a salicylate sensitive individual. What happens yeah. in these people? What do you do? Well, quite simply, is um, we recommend you do not do the test. Yeah. Can can okay, they just do part of the test? Mm, no. Right. If you're sensitive to either caffeine, if you have a known, if your patient has a known sensitivity to the caffeine, aspirin, or paracetamol, please don't do it. We've yeah. had practitioners tell their patients to take, oh, just take half a tablet, or no. or don't bother taking the aspirin. This is incorrect. Mm. The test is calibrated to be run on that, you know, specific amounts of medication. Um, and should be done as prescribed. Otherwise, it you just don't get the proper reading. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 here I might also mention too that um, to be aware that the caffeine dose is two hundred milligrams. Okay, so, so that's high. equivalent to two cups of coffee yeah. or two and a half cans of Red Bull in one hit. Yeah. Okay, so that could pose a problem to some. 
Aspirin is a 600 milligram dose, which is the dose for a really, really bad headache. Mm. So that could be a problem for some. And the paracetamol is 500 milligrams, which is your standard over-the-counter headache. Yeah, well, that's a low dose. It is, but that caffeine is, I mean, that would make my eyes roll back in my head. Caffeine's a yeah. Yeah, and the aspirin, of course, we have to be careful with people with uh, gastric or duodenal ulcers or some sort of bleeding tendency. Yeah, reading, renal disease, yeah. What about those people who um, who do the test? They've found out something's wrong. You, let's say, you know, I mean, sulfation is huge, uh, a huge issue. What about treatment? Yeah. What do you use and what differences can patients expect to see over a period of time as their liver recovers? Well, I'd have to say that as a very, again, a major generalisation, mm-hmm. in the test results, more often than not, you're going to see an upregulated phase one. Mm-hmm and a down-regulated phase two. Yep. So remember the upregulated phase one means we've got more free radicals, more um, reactive species going around, and down-regulated phase two means we are not metabolising them and eliminating them as well as we should. So uh, because we want them to work more efficiently, and I think as natural health practitioners we love our nutrients and herbs, the first one I always think about is silly marin or St Mary's thistle a good old oldie but a goodie, Yep, and that's great for both phase support, uh, especially for upregulated phase one, along with antioxidants. Okay, We must look yes. at antioxidants if we've got upregulated phase one, so things like A, C, E, zinc, selenium, and et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, I also love uh, N-acetylcysteine or yep. NAC. Yep. Uh, did you know that they actually use NAC, admittedly as an infusion, but as treatment of choice for paracetamol overdose? Absolutely, standard therapy. Or eight, yeah. or eight grams of methionine, uh, TDS, I think it is. That's oh, the, that's the second cool. one, yeah. Yeah, NAC. So yeah. I thought, wow, how that, cool is that for us to be using it in clinic then? Yeah, yeah. and that was its original use, which I know from nursing. NAC was used um, as a rescue, uh, as long as you got them early enough for paracetamol overdose, but also for... Um, it used to be, I don't know about now, I think it was an orphaned drug, but it used to be um, nebulised for cystic fibrosis as well. It's a oh, great, fantastic. Yeah, great mucolytic. Yeah. Yes, yes, fantastic. Well, I, I just thought it, it's a real good plus for us to be able to use it with mm. patients on a regular basis then for great uh, liver support and detoxification. Yeah. Um, the one thing I would ask practice to be aware of is coming on too heavy with their liver Thank support. You. Yep. And causing patients definitely to feel something, and that is feel worse. Yeah. Uh, that and because a lot of the patients we see, or in our clinic, some of them are real sensitive, hmm. and um, we can really feel worse. And I don't believe that this has got to feel worse to feel better sort of situation. It means you are asking the body to do. It's already compromised, hmm. and you're asking it to do too much. Yeah. You know, and you're. You need to tread lightly and build up their tolerance. I know when I, when I first guinea pigged um, myself when NAC came out, I was so nauseous. I, I swear I thought I was pregnant again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Me oh, too. I thought like, I was pregnant. No. Oh, my God. <laughs> it felt like morning sickness. It was horrible. Oh, is that how and, it felt? Um, and then I had to stop being the practitioner because we're terrible patients. Yes. And I actually read the instructions and went, okay, what would you do if I was my patient? 
And I just reduced the dose right down so I was able to handle it better. And then I titrated myself back up to the recommended dose. And I was fine. It was just to start off with my system. And I know I've done my genes and I've a poor glutathione genetically. Yeah. Yep. That it just blew my head off. So we have to remember that. Don't make our patients feel something. I prefer it if my patients don't necessarily feel anything. No, you know, well, certainly not straight away, yeah. The analogy no. I think of is, like, if you've got a dam that's about to burst because there's so much toxic load on it and mm-hmm. the phase two isn't working well, so you've got a trickle of a stream running, taking away the water, and now if you try and do too much and just open the dam walls, you've now just got it created a flood downstream, haven't you? That's not good. Yes. So I like that analogy. We need to control that stream and, and gradually widen it, but also lessen that water on top if we can. So lessen the load on the patients. Exactly. What we need to do is the old, you know, holes in the dike. We Mm. need to punch a couple of holes in and let it just trickle out, stream out slowly. That's right. And not overwhelm the system. What about those Uh, patients, though, who are extremely sensitive to detox? I, I, I seem to dimly recall somebody, and I have used this a couple of times, just using glycine for like one to two months. Have you ever used that? Have you ever? I've not used that as a, no, I've kind of fallen in love with NAC, really. Right. Um, So I use that as a tiny, tiny amount. uh, Uh, Admittedly, this was people who were like, they were super sensitive. And especially when you get, you know, salicylate sensitivity and things like that, they just to to give them enough glycine, you know, the simplest amino acid um, and just that as a therapy, just for a couple of months until they're sort of ready to take on the onslaught of a detox? Well, sometimes it's, well, I certainly, if someone is that weakened or that sensitive, Mm. to be honest, I don't like to detox them Mm. as a a detox. Mm. I will want to, at first, try and, again, using the analogy of a dam, is find upstream where all the water's coming from. Yes, yes. So I would rather take those things out of their system so their body can build up a bit to fight the detox rather than, you know, again, it's like detoxing somewhere while they're still living in a mouldy house. Yeah. Um, it's it's not going to help. Yeah, that's right. And somebody know, who's... Or detoxing while they're still drinking heaps of alcohol constantly. You yeah. know, it's, it's, it's a bit difficult. So, and... yeah, I, I'd probably go even further upstream with my real sensitives and try and find what might be impeding them in the first place yeah. is it mold is it heavy metals is it gut bacteria you know like a parasite where's that going indeed I, I think sometimes it's not we've got to be very careful to stop even that straight away and it might be worthwhile just titrating down if you like um the intake of the offending food or substance that they're uh-huh. using. So instead of stopping alcohol straight away or stopping salicylate-containing foods, you you slowly take out these offending foods until you're down to a sort of workable level. That's it. And the system is just easier to deal with. Now we add a little bit of whatever. Like um, the, the other thing I wanted to mention that I like too, which – goes back to when I talked about beta-glucuronidase, mm-hmm. is calcium deglucurate. Ah, yes. So I've been using that a fair bit now, especially with my ladies with estrogen dominance. Yes. Um, to great effect. It's like, wow, that, you know, 
girls lose a couple of kilos and they love me for life. It's fantastic. <laughs> the, um, the problem's been in the past is that these attempts to try and use it in Australia, because the other name of calcium deglucrate is calcium saccharate, was that it was only allowed as an excipient and so you couldn't really put a full therapeutic dose in. Now mm-hmm. you've got these extemporaneous preparations so you can get a, a, a full whack in. But again, I would say even with calcium deglucurate, I, I wouldn't use it on its own. I'd use that as part of an overall therapy. Is that? Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. There's still plenty of other things we need to do for estrogen clearance too. Mm. Um, and then the other thing we use quite extensively at uh, – in clinic is glutathione. Yep. Now we use it orally and we have the benefit of being able to do it as an IV yes. uh, intravenously. Yep. Um, and that sometimes is great for our super, super sensitive because we avoid the whole oral reaction and we can avoid the liver first path. Mm. Because we can get it straight into their blood. Straight but, in, um, yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, obviously, so, that requires a, a GP. That, that is a GP and someone who does those sorts of things. But yeah. it is good to know that it is available if if um, absolutely necessary. Yeah. What What about caveats for practitioners? What sort of warnings or cautions would you give them to look out for? You've mentioned a few about you know blowing their socks off with going too heroic with dosages. What other reactions oh, do you see? Definitely taking taking if, even if we're doing the test. Yeah. You know, with, with the caffeine, aspirin, and paracetamol, please be mindful of that. Yeah. And the other thing is, the clients, your clients can't be having any aspirin or paracetamol for at least two days prior to that. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I must say, the caveat is, um, it's actually really bad news because while you're doing the test testing, it's no caffeine for 48 hours before the test. Yeah. I know, I know. I can, <laughs> I can hear the screams of desperation now out there. Oh, my God, no. Because uh, it's no coffee. It's no tea, no cola, no energy drinks, no no-dose. Um, they really need to stay off everything. Yeah, so that's right. The, the practitioners need to be mindful of that with their patients because if you don't tell the patients, the patients are going to take these things possibly and then really feel bad, yeah. you know, really feel horrible. That's so, right. And we indeed, it'll muck mindful. up the test. You're not looking at a at a controlled dose. Oh, exactly. So we've got that issue. Plus, they're going to feel horrible. And then when you tell them that you're going to give them a liver detox as a therapy, they're going to go, are you kidding me? No way. <laughs> so um, I, I always like to um, go gentle with my patients because I like when my patients will come and see me and go, oh, especially after the races because down here in Melbourne, the racing season has begun mm-hmm. and there's a lot of parties going on. And then after Christmas, I, I like when my patients can come in and say, oh, Beth, I'd like to do a detox. And they know that we can have one that's subtle and you know just upregulating things without being hardcore, right, for two weeks, you're going to feel like rubbish while we absolutely you know cane your body and fix your liver. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think gentle, gentle, slowly, slowly is much more efficient because, like you said earlier, we're exposed to this stuff around us in our world on a constant, constant basis. Yeah, I, I think the, the, you know, the days of the oh, it's a detox reaction, so that's go harder. 
they're gone. We know that we're causing damage to their liver. We've really got mm-hmm. to, when we see people feeling nauseous and even breaking out in rashes and things like that, that's a, that's a sign that something's not coping. So we've got to uh, absolutely to read that as a sign and address it appropriately, yeah? Yes, I, yes I, I get a bit worried when people go, oh, that's great. I go, no, it's not. <laughs> so, so for practitioners going to do a liver detoxification profile, they need to explain to their patients that they're going to be taking some some medicines and um, mm-hmm. that these have a con- need to be a, in a controlled dose and a controlled environment so they can't have any of those medicines during or in certain instances prior. Then what do they do? They do take the, the salivary sample, the urine sample, they package it off and send it off. Two weeks later, though, or one to two weeks later, those results are sent back to the practitioner. Is that right? Correct. And yes. then the practitioner will make a call to the patient to come in again for another visit and go through those results. That's it. Okay. And I might suggest that the practitioners also have tissues in their office so just to deal with the tears when you tell your client that they can't have coffee for two days. <laughs> Brilliantly said. Beth, thank you so much for taking us through our liver detox profile, what it entails and how we can deal with our patients' tears, but also what it means to their health to be able to see how their liver is truly functioning in their bodies, you know, in their environment. So thank you once again. My absolute pleasure as always. This is FX Medicine and I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today on FX Medicine, please engage with us and let us know what further topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in contact with us through our website, fxmedicine.com.au or look for FX Medicine in your favourite social media platform. You can also rate and review us on iTunes and we'd really like to thank those who have already rated us. It's through your continued support that enables us to bring you current, complex and relevant topics to enhance your practice of natural medicine.